Hi, I'm Emily Hobner with WCD Agricultural Management in Lampasas, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We are locked, loaded, and ready to roll with another edition of Texas Ag Today. So jump on in with me. Buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, we are back comfortably on Texas soil after last week's trip to Washington, but we have more coverage from the folks we interviewed while we were there. In fact, we interviewed two of the top officials in Washington, D.C. when it comes to agriculture, U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack and EPA Administrator Michael Regan. We'll have stories from both of those officials coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State, and we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture, from the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Keeping your herd going relies on having a bull who's ready to do his job. I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll talk about breeding soundness exams. May is National Beef Month, and the Texas Beef Council is doing its part in promoting beef throughout the month with various promotions. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have comments from a Beef Council representative on Texas Ag Today. This is James Duncan and Marshall. We'll be talking just a tad about the weather, a lot about the grass growing, the cattle market is really good, and the peach trees are improving after the damage from the storms. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Crop prices are at historic highs, but so are input costs, and that squeezes the farm profit margin. On our recent trip to Washington, D.C., we met with U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, and when asked if he feels the farm safety net needs updating to reflect those rising input costs, he says he's more concerned about updating our approach to disaster programs. You know, I think one of the challenges that we face is as we continue to diversify agriculture and as we continue to see the impacts of a, of a changing climate, I think we are learning the need for versatility and flexibility in our approach to disasters. You know, I think the fact that Congress had to appropriate an additional $10 billion under what is commonly referred to as the WIP Plus program out there in the countryside is a reflection of the fact that the disaster programs that we have uh, probably need to be looked at very carefully and closely. And Vilsack emphasized the need for flexibility in disaster programs, noting that a disaster in the southeast isn't the same as a disaster in the west. Another administration official we met with was Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Michael Regan. I asked Regan why the EPA is rewriting the Trump administration's Navigable Waters Protection Act, which the vast majority of American agriculture supports. We want to provide some regulatory certainty and a durable rule. We know that uh, the prior WOTUS and, and President Trump's WOTUS were vulnerable to litigation, and we have an obligation to comply with the Clean Water Act. So what we're doing largely 
is going back to pre-2015. Uh, we're going back to the pre-2015 rule with an upgrade in terms of codifying some recent Supreme Court rulings that would flow into the 2015 law. But we're also really focused on retaining long-standing exemptions and exclusions like the prior converted cropland exclusion and exemptions for normal farming and ranching activities. Regan says his goal is to provide a durable rule that provides certainty to the agriculture community. Back home in Texas, the wheat crop is headed and turning color in central Texas, while up in the panhandle, it's a very mixed bag, according to Tree County agent Scott Strawn. We're all over the board with this wheat. Some of this surprisingly looks a lot better than I thought it would, and then some of these fields are just not going to make it at this point. And it all kind of goes back to how we started. About a third of our dry land acres that were planted, in my opinion, are just not going to make it. But the other two-thirds, they're still kind of hanging in there. Strawn says historically high prices will encourage farmers to harvest their wheat crop this year, even if the yields don't amount to much. It may be time to give your bull a checkup. James Hunt tells us this is the time of year for a breeding soundness exam. Herd management is essential for ranchers when you're suffering through the kind of drought we're experiencing in the Texas High Plains, along with removing underperforming cows, Texas A&M AgriLife beef cattle specialist Jason Smith says a breeding soundness exam for your bull is also recommended. If we think about getting ready for an upcoming breeding season, conducting a breeding soundness exam on a herd bull can be hugely, hugely valuable, hugely, hugely impactful. It's something we do want to do ahead of time because we're going to use that as really that check to ensure that that bull is ready to go to work for us. We want to do it early enough to where if the answer is no. If he doesn't pass that breeding soundness exam, we have the opportunity to find a replacement for him and get that bull prepared to go to work. Meanwhile, feeding your animals during periods when forage is short can force ranchers to make some choices. AgriLife economist Justin Benavidez says the Extension Service has produced a decision-making tool to help producers evaluate what feedstuffs to go with when providing nutritional supplements to their cattle. It takes into account the nutritive value, the different compositions of nutrients within those inputs, and also the cost, um, and not just the cost of purchase, but what is the cost to feed those inputs? So can I go out there with a bed top feeder? Do I just dump it? Is it in a tub? Um, what is the loss when I feed it? So it factors in a lot of those things that we don't really think about whenever we're putting out supplemental feed for our cattle, which is, again, going to be important in a situation like we're in now with very little rain. To find out more about this tool and others available through AgriLife, contact the Extension Service. I talked with Dr. Smith and Dr. Benavidez at AgriLife's recent Hemphill County Beef Conference. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. May is National Beef Month. Tom Nicoletti checks in with the Texas Beef Council on their Beef Month activities. My guest today is Russell Woodward. He is Senior Manager for Channel Marketing at the Texas Beef Council. And uh, Russell, uh, welcome to our program. And what is the main message to consumers during uh, National Beef Month uh, here in the month of May? My pleasure, Tom. Uh, we got a lot of promotions that are ongoing. And one of the fun ones that we get to do here leading up to May is the Texas High School Barbecue State Championship, which we held at Dell Diamond in Round Rock. 
Now, how does this partnership between the Beef Council and uh, High School uh, Barbecue Incorporated, which uh, began back in 2016, promote beef for high school students? The high school barbecue sponsorship that we're involved with is one small piece of a larger puzzle, but it helps us accomplish our mission, which is really to bring uh, beef-loving Texans together over their shared love of beef. What Texan doesn't love a little barbecue? So we've grown the uh, organization from 2016 from one event with eight teams to now we have 10 regional events and a state championship here where 85 teams competed for the state high school championship. So it really gives us the opportunity to build life skills, to build cooking skills, and to help these students hone their love of beef. Also, part of the overall program are various prizes and, uh, importantly, scholarships. That's right. The high school barbecue group gave away almost $70,000 in scholarships to students uh, or to our championship team and reserve championship team. Now, May is uh, National Beef Month uh, leading into the summer season. You tie uh, the summer with beef and you get consumers drawn to the industry, correct? That's right. Nothing more Texan than summer beef and barbecue. That is Russell Woodward. He is with the Texas Beef Council. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Hay season is getting underway in East Texas. James Duncan has an update from Marshall. In East Texas, this time of the year, we get ready to do hay baling, and we're doing it. It's rolling right along. Also, the grass that's getting ready is really growing because we've had the right amount of moisture. Now, this season, we need just a a lit along for the produce growers. But right now we need dry weather so that that hay can dry out and it can be rolled up and put in the barn or in storage or in the field, however they want to do that. But it's it's important. Now, the fertilizer cost this year has kind of caused us a bit of a problem because we don't know just exactly which way to turn, how much to invest in it, because those rolls have increased in price over the years. Just uh, Just natural attrition of cost going up and the fertilizer bumped like it was has really put several of our producers in a quandary. And I have talked to uh, cattle producers around and and, uh, commercial hay harvesters. You know, we we, uh, not as many people have um, balers on their farms as at one time we depend upon the commercial hay baler to get the job done. And they do a really, really good job. So that's the big thing that's going on in East Texas. The storms that occurred in late March, early April did some damage, but we're recovering. The trees, the timberland country is really looking good, and the peach trees are making fast improvement over the damage that they incurred. Now, we still have not got the uh, full uh, benefit yet of recovery in the cornfields that did a little damage in the hailstorm that hit us on Easter Sunday in some of that production area. But the watermelons are just coming real. They're slow, but they're going to be ready for the July, and that's always good in east texas this is james duncan reporting from marshall for texas ag today a wild bird in texas has tested positive for highly pathogenic avian influenza i'm jessica domel and i'll have that story coming up on texas ag today and feeding an athletic horse that has cushing's disease can be a challenge texas veterinarian dr bob judd has more on that coming up next right here on texas ag today On the Texas Ag Calendar, young farmers and ranchers in Southeast Texas are invited to the Young Farmer and Rancher event coming up on Sunday, May 15th, 3 o'clock at Neal's Berry Farm in Waller, Texas. 
Kevin Seawright joins me to talk more about it. Kevin, tell me what's happening at this young farmer and rancher gathering. It's our District 11 YFNR event uh, for anybody that's in YFNR from 18 to 35 that's interested in agriculture. And we're going to be at Neil's Berry Farm over in Waller. And we're going to tour his berry farm and we're going to pick some berries and talk about the YFR events that we have coming up. Young farmers and ranchers ages 18 to 35 are invited to attend. Kevin, where can they get more information? Uh, you can contact uh, Jessica Niemer. 936-419-9648. It's all happening on Sunday, May 15th, 3 o'clock at Neal's Berry Farm in Waller, Texas. If you'd like to have an event featured here on the Texas Ag Calendar, just shoot me an email. C Martin, that's C-M-A-R-T-I-N at T-X-F-B dot O-R-G. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Feeding an athletic horse that has Cushing's disease can be a challenge. Dr. Bob Judd says Cushing's disease causes multiple symptoms. Cushing's disease is not an uncommon disease in horses, and the older the horse is, the more likely Cushing's disease could be involved. Cushing's disease can cause multiple symptoms in horses, including a long, shaggy hair coat, drinking excessive water, frequent infections, and the most serious condition is laminitis. Laminitis occurs in horses with Cushing's disease because the disease causes an increase in cortisol. Cortisol leads to insulin resistance, and the increased insulin is actually one cause of laminitis. Increased levels of insulin can also occur with increased starch and simple sugar in the diet, so it is important to feed the correct diet in horses with Cushing's disease. This is not much of a problem in pet horses. However, performance horses need a lot of energy to do their jobs, and it can be a challenge to get enough energy in these horses without increasing their insulin levels. The diet for all horses with Cushing's disease should be forage-based, and this really goes for almost all horses, whether they have Cushing's disease or not, or whether they are insulin resistant or not. However, we have to make sure the forage itself is not the cause of the insulin resistance because some forage can also be high in starch and sugar. For this reason, it is always a good idea to have your hay tested for carbohydrate levels, and the levels should be under 10% non-structural carbohydrates. You can find performance feeds that have 10% non-structural carbohydrates as well. Senior feeds can also be used, but not all are low-carbohydrate feeds. The decision to allow horses with PPID or Cushing's disease on pasture is difficult and depends on the horse and the pasture. So ask your veterinarian for their opinion on allowing these Cushing's horses to graze. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A wild bird in Texas has tested positive for avian influenza. Jessica Domel has that story in today's Wildlife Report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has confirmed the first case of highly pathogenic avian influenza in a wild bird in Texas. A great horned owl housed at a rehabilitation facility in Wichita County tested positive this week. This first positive case in a wild bird comes on the heels of the state's first HPAI case in a commercial flock in April. That case was in a commercial pheasant flock in Erath County. The Texas Animal Health Commission told us at the time they believe the infection came from a wild bird. 
Highly pathogenic avian influenza, or HPAI, is highly contagious among wild and domestic birds. It can lead to the illness or death of poultry, waterfowl, and game birds. To date, HPAI has been found in 38 states across the country. Symptoms include diarrhea, incoordination, lethargy, coughing, sneezing, and sudden death. Not all infected birds will show outward symptoms of infection. The virus is spread through direct and indirect contact with an infected bird or through contact with infected equipment, clothing, and shoes of caretakers. TPWD recommends facilities with wild or domestic birds enhance their biosecurity measures to reduce the risk of infection. The public can help reduce the likelihood of HPAI transmission by limiting all unnecessary contact with wild birds. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the risk of transmission of HPAI from an infected bird to a human is low. But people should take basic precautions like wearing gloves and face masks and washing hands thoroughly if interactions with wild birds cannot be avoided. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cattle market traded both sides of unchanged on Friday while cotton and corn dropped lower. We'll take a look at all of Friday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Break out your camera and snap a pic for the Texas Farm Bureau Photo Contest. You or someone you know can share your best photo with the entire Lone Star State and maybe win some cash. Like $250 for first place, $200 for second place, and $100 for honorable mention. The contest is open to Texas Farm Bureau members or an immediate family member. Rural settings and lifestyles are the preferred themes for all submissions, and contestants are limited to one entry per person. Top four winners will be selected and published in the July edition of Texas Agriculture and the summer edition of Texas Neighbors. Snap your pick now for the Texas Farm Bureau Photo Contest. The entry deadline is June 1st. Visit TexasFarmBureau.org for complete contest rules. That's TexasFarmBureau.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market traded on both sides of unchanged on Friday. When it all shook out on the close, we ended up mostly lower on the live cattle market, mostly higher on the feeder cattle market. June live cattle dropped a dollar two, ending the week at one thirty-two seventy-five. August live cattle down sixty-seven at one thirty-five thirty-five, while October was down fifty-two cents, one forty-two eighty-seven. Feeder market finished mostly higher, getting support from lower corn prices. The exception was the nearby. May contract. It was down 77, closing at 159.55. The rest of the contracts higher with August up 32 cents, 174.70. September feeders up 50 cents, 177.95. Cash fed cattle market wrapping up the week last week, selling most of our cattle here in the South at 140. We did see some reports of a few cattle selling as high as 141, but that 140 number sold the vast majority of our fed cattle over the past week. That is steady money compared with a week ago. Boxed beef was mixed Friday. Choice down 48 cents, 254.70. Select up 62 at 246.43. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. 
Let's sit down here at Granny Marble's kitchen table and we'll talk to Benny Cox from producers in Cargill, San Angelo, about the sheep and goat sale. Benny? We got along real good, Larry. I expected it to be some lower. And it was. You know, it was crazy good last week. We sold a little over 7,600, and we're going to have between 2,500 and 3,000 for today, which will give us a good deal more than, than 10,000 for the week. These wool feeder lambs were castrated and all that stuff. They were kind of 20 to 30 lower. Slaughter lambs, hair sheep type, they sold from 15 to 20 lower. On these slaughter ewes, they sold mostly 5 to $10 lower. Except on some of these that were going back to the country, we had a guy from out of state and another couple of guys were kind of pushing to buy some of these ewes, I think, to turn out. You know, those might have been 10 dollars $15, $20 higher. On these kid goats, they sold from 30 to $40 lower. The slaughter nannies, kind of 120 to $210, mostly 130 to 185 And when you get on up into that 170 to 185 or so, you know, some of those may be turned out as well. Slaughter billies, they sell from 180 all the way up to 250 The range on the wool feeder lambs was 270 all the way up to 350 On the uh, hair sheep type, the light end of those from 320 to 358 would be the top end on those. With uh, the heavier weights from 280 to uh, 378 the Heavier weights, they sell from 280 all the way up to, uh, oh, somewhere in that uh, old 340 range. Uh, looking at the uh, slaughter ewes, 90 to 150, mostly 96 to 133. On the kid goat, they sell on range from 350 all the way to 478, but there's very few of those things that bring over 450. They sell mostly in a range from 380 to $4. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Benny Cock. They can call me on my mobile list, 325-234-4277. The office is the same area code, 653-3371. Or they can always look at the web, which is producersandcargyle.com. Neighbor, this is Larry Marble in San Angelo reporting for Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. Lean hog futures finished lower on Friday. May hogs down 60 cents at 102.20. June hogs down 297 to close the week at 104.10. Class 3 milk was mixed. May milk up a nickel, 24.99 a hundredweight, while June milk was down 30 24 The cotton market had a tough week, especially at the end of the week. We had that limit down move on Thursday on the two nearby contracts, and we saw follow-through selling and another sharply lower close on Friday. Some factors influencing the cotton market over the past week, the COVID-19 lockdowns in China, fears that that could disrupt the global economy, and we saw the U.S. dollar making some historic highs over the past week. So both of those factors weighed heavily on the cotton market at the end of the week. July cotton, 515 points lower Friday, closing at 143.61. October cotton down 301 points at 130.18. December cotton dropped 270 to close at 123.74. A hot, dry forecast for the Midwest weighed on the corn market Friday. Of course, a hot, dry forecast means Midwest corn farmers can finally get in the field and play catch-up on getting their corn in the ground for this season. May corn down 11.5 on that news, 792 and a quarter. September corn down 14 and a quarter at 742 a bushel. The wheat market was mixed on Friday. July Kansas City wheat down six and a half, 1170 and a half. July Chicago wheat up two at 1108 and a half. In the energy markets, June natural gas down 74 cents, eight dollars three cents. June crude oil up 211 at 110.37 a barrel. The financial markets lower again Friday afternoon. The Dow was down 357 points, 32,637. The Nasdaq down 249 at 12,068. The S&P down 52, 
4,093. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.